Want exclusive content and a say on Emerging Cricket's direction? Support us on Patreon. From as little as $2 a month, you'll be helping us grow the game outside its traditional centres and you'll have access to extended coverage. A huge shout out to our latest patrons, David Jones and Jed Hines. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Emerging Cricket. Coming up, we catch up on news in the game, plus part two with Claire Polisak. Hello and welcome to another Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sportfm in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick. I'm joined by the usual suspects today. First, Copernicus Cricket on Twitter. Nick Skinner, how are you? I'm very well, Bez. I've uh, just got back from work, so a bit, um, you know, had, had a bit of a nap, so ready to go for the podcast. No rest for the wicked here on the Emerging Cricket Podcast as we record late into the afternoon here. And of course, the pod would not be complete without the main man in Brisbane, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? Relegated to uh, third place again, it would appear, but um, I'm okay. A little bit ropey. Uh, a friend in town uh, last night that uh, so had work-related beverages uh, late into the evening. So um, today, productivity's probably not been as high as, as, as one could hope, but you know, you've got to power through. Yeah, I'm okay. Bez, yourself, how have you been? You've been uh, jumping between stats packs. Are you back at Fox now? What are you doing? Yeah, well, I was ready to crack out Vanessa Williams again for you there after saving the, the best for, for last or third in this case. But Look, we've already got one copyright strike against against us for last <laughs> time. So uh, let's, just, let's just keep it. We don't, we don't want to be, have the podcast banned because, you know, BMG came after us for using Vanessa Williams for second time. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, just chipping away. Work sort of in and out between A-League, uh, some cricket around the place. South African T20 Challenge Cricket we're doing. We've done some women's internationals, Australia v New Zealand. Yeah, a bit of everything. So uh, just trying to keep my toes and also uh, testing the waters of the uh, employment market, giving LinkedIn a bit of a workout, uh, my resume a bit of an update just to see what's out there. But yeah, enjoying time back at home and looking towards, I suppose, uh, our emerging cricket discussions today. And unfortunately, well, here in Australia, things are relatively normal in, in the COVID world that we are living in. Yeah, but looking to Cricket World Cup League 2 and the Challenge Leagues, we won't see any action in either of those until at least August with more cancellations. I suppose it was an inevitable decision. We saw it come through uh, a couple of weeks ago now, but I think we're starting to reach the point where we're a little bit worried that not all the fixtures will fit by the cutoff is that a sentiment that you agree with tim and and what do you think the alternatives are yeah well they they've already said that they've pushed the fixtures as far back as they can i think the date is the 28th of feb 2023 so that means that we'll be playing league two at least right up until i think when they want to be playing the world cup qualifier and as you can imagine, the ICC are running all these scenarios through as best they can. Yeah, and like you said, if it gets to the point of start losing fixtures, but I think the, the options being looked at are playing um, instead of having the double round robin tri series of going into a, actually playing four ODIs against each nation to try and um, get as much cricket played as possible. And there's also considerations to having their own bubbles for like a super series come later in um, that time period. But I think that's trying to be avoided if possible. And I think the, the advantage that the ICC has is the money 
that you know they pay for all this cricket. You know that's something that we we may assume that we know, but unlike full member cricket that is completely paid for by the two teams competing, with certain um, costs borne by the the hosts and then the touring team having to get the team there and and, and whatnot. But this is completely subsidised by the ICC, so that that money is sitting there, hopefully, and it can can go towards some manner of bubbles perhaps later in later in the day so i think that's look there's an inevitability to this um that we're either gonna have to play series back to back or you know and if we start losing games i don't know whether we might get to the point of like a world test championship that we are looking at percentage of wins because it will be an unfair balance i think if teams be able to play the number of games at home and away against certain teams so look we're not there yet but you know look at the world and, and what's happening and whilst we're seeing the vaccine uh, being administered in certain places I'm, I'm even looking at those dates in august in some of these countries i think that might still be optimistic yeah it's it's like you say i mean it's not surprising it's it's disappointing i mean that they they do still have some amount of time on their side you know there's there's about half of this year that they're planning for we'll see how they're going with with vaccines and whatnot but there's also you know there's all of next year and associate cricket teams generally don't have that many fixtures clogging up their uh, you know their schedule list so they you know, they're often able to reschedule uh, at, at sort of at a last minute because they don't have anything on anyway so <laughs> it's a source of frustration usually, but in this case, it's it's almost an advantage that that their that their calendar's so empty because they they can just sort of slot in uh, whenever. I think, yeah, looking looking ahead, we've got the Challenge League in Canada in August supposedly, which I mean the the virus and vaccine situation there isn't fantastic, and in September in Jersey, you know the UK's been you know quite good at rolling out the vaccine. So yeah, we, we don't know what the travel restrictions are going to be like, you know, that far away. But hopefully by you know at least partway through next year, travel will be sort of uh, a bit more feasible. And you know, you mentioned bubbles. It is it is unfortunate. Yeah, the, the associates generally can't afford to host bubbles because you know you're, you're flying in teams to sit around doing nothing basically for for a week or two. Um, which, uh, yeah, they're usually, you know, thinking back to the, um, you know, a number of uh, associate level tournaments run by the ICC where, you you know, you have teams flying out the day of the last game. So, they, they do cut it fine because, you know, you don't want to be, uh, yeah, wasting money on, on people not playing cricket. So, I think that will be, probably be a last resort for the ICC. But, you know, looking at Dubai and, and Abu Dhabi, the facilities that are available to them there, they they probably could run quite a lot of cricket concurrently if they don't quite squeeze it all in. You know, they could just get it there at the back end of, of um, you know, early 2023, hopefully. Because, if you know, yeah, like you said, Tim, once they start cutting games, then it gets a bit unfair for the teams who miss out or who have already played some games or, you know, and so I think that would hopefully be a last resort. Yeah, just looking at uh, the Cricket World Cup League 2 table, for example, and Nepal have only played four matches where the USA have played 11. So there's already quite a disparity in the in the games played and the table is, is quite skewed, which makes it quite difficult for them to actually come to an abbreviated version of the tournament because had they all played, say, eight or, or, or 12 games apiece, you might have been able to, to formulate the competition in such a way where you could make it pretty much even but you know there are going to be countries that are going to be more busy in this period than others looking towards the challenge league that those two uh league a and league b are 
because they're playing against each other all the time in, in those competitions, it makes it a little bit easier for that to be organized. But yeah, as you said, Nick, it is very difficult. You know, I know from seeing what these guys do in, in terms of associate competitions, they're normally only there getting to to a, a country and getting to a hotel a day or two before a uh, tournament starts. And they're normally at least on, you know, the first flight the next morning, the day after their last game, if not leaving on on the day of their last game, as, as you pointed out. But yeah, to think of, of everyone, you know, putting up streams, putting up telecasts for this, it's going to be very difficult. And, and the bubbles, you know, makes it very, very unrealistic for, for all of this to be achieved in such a short period of time now. I was sort of the eternal optimist when it came to all of this, but I'm starting to think, well, yeah, even with a vaccine and even with some due diligence from people around the place, it would be a little bit easier. But the the fact of the matter is, it, it's still quite difficult, Tim. Yeah, and I think Nick was talking about the affordability and associate players being able to be available quickly. I, yes, I think that's that's true, but only to an extent. I think we've got to remember, well, especially in the Challenge League, but even in League 2 as well, if they're going to have to play... I don't know, let's say three months straight of cricket, maybe four. You know, we're not talking generally about full-time professional cricketers here. Or the, mm. You know, there are still many that aren't. So I think we may see, maybe in more in challenge leagues, teams not be able to, to field complete sides um, or, you know, a real consideration there of, of all this cricket back, uh, backed up. You know, it's all well and good if you're a full-time pro, but... You know, we know from from chatting to a lot of the players, they still do other work to supplement cricket, and if that means they're, they're not able to to do that for an extended period, it might mean that they can't be available for the for the whole time required. So, look, we hope that doesn't happen, but I just fear that for as much of this being a smorgasbord of contextual cricket over the next two years, it it, it is now almost to the to the day, you know, to that twenty eighth of Feb, twenty twenty three limit. I just hope we get to see the best players representing their their, their countries as as often as possible. Yeah, that's definitely a good point, Tim, about the availability. The only thing I would add to that, though, is that I think if you're looking at a a tournament structure, even with that consideration, I think it's probably better to have it decided on the field, even if it is, you know, albeit um, weakened teams or, you know, they need to shuffle around a squad because some some of the guys need to get back to work. That's that's still better, I would say, than, you know, missing games and going on percentages or, or whatever. I, absolutely, yeah. I'll just sort of bring a perspective there of, of knowing that the struggles it is to mm, get yeah. to get all these players together, and, and especially if it's going to happen quickly. You know, people are taking taking unpaid leave off off work. You know, only to think of Scott McKechnie in the uh, in the Asia Cup. You know, catching MS Dhoni off uh, off Esan Khan. You know, he was on unpaid leave from his job at at Kowloon Cricket Club. You know, and you can only do that for so long. And that, and that was at, at the time when the, the sort of leading uh, leading associate teams. We'll pass on the news of those Challenge Leagues and Cricket World Cup League 2 when we get them. Talking about players, boys, we saw the retirement of Wesley Berezi recently, of course, a stalwart in Dutch cricket for a long time there, over 4,000 runs for his country, uh, over 160 appearances for the Netherlands as well, announced via social media. We saw perhaps in the in the last couple of years in the Netherlands a, a real shake-up to the team. Berezi struggled to, to make that team, but we do know that you know, in the in the history of Dutch cricket and in the Dutch success throughout the last decade or so, even longer, uh, Nick Wesley's been a, a huge part of that, that side and, and European cricket. Yeah, like you say, almost 170 appearances for the national team, which is quite an achievement. You know, the Netherlands, especially in the first half of his career, weren't playing a whole lot of international cricket. Um, you know, he was 
probably one of their, their best batsmen for nearly 10 years and a real uh, driver of that top order and, and you know the, the engine room of the runs, really. Um, yeah, like you say, towards the back end of his career, he was uh, struggling a little bit to get in the side uh, with a lot of options being cycled through. I think you know, it's sort of uh, a bit of an implication in... Uh, Rod's piece talking about his retirement that his mental state was you know not as good as it had been and and he was struggling a bit um, which I mean it's it's a tough life being an associate cricketer and and as we've just talked about you know, not necessarily being paid very well or, or at all sometimes and but you know there's there's some amazing highlights over the course of his decade plus in in Dutch cricket and obviously there's the amazing run chase against Ireland uh, which he was a big part of in in the in the T20 World Cup so uh, yeah he's been a great servant of uh, of Dutch cricket for a long time yeah to see you know he's been a consistent performer you know 400 runs in the the most recent world cricket league championship from 2015 to 2017 and and the 2011 to 2014 series he scored 400 again so he's been he's been consistent over the, over the last decade and you know when i was looking at possible nominations for the the male cricketer of, of the decade you know his name was was there if we're putting a team together a team of the decade or you know the ones just outside he was very, he was in there you know it's just that you know they're going to be one winner and the, and only you know a handful of, of nominees and, and what a, a strong kind of group of nominees that, that they were because he's just been there and like without him I don't think the Netherlands are where they, they, they are so hopefully he gets the, the send-off he deserves and it's never great when a um, I guess a player like this isn't able to, to go out pretty much on their own terms I know that he, he's, he, he's retired and he's still been playing cricket locally and going well but you know for someone who who'd scored that many runs for his country yeah, you know, it's always sad, and as you said, well, he said it himself how tough it is being an associate cricketer. And mm, I think that was yeah. the the quote that we pulled as the the headline of when we posted it. That a lot of the cricketing world just doesn't doesn't understand what it what it means. And uh, I think that was that was telling. And I think that the, the numbers of people that read that as well kind of show how how much interest he sort of pulled across the sphere and, and beyond the associate world. So are we going wishing the best and whatever comes next? Nick talked about him being a consistent performer. Just having a look at, at some of his numbers, from 2010 to 2018, there was only one calendar year he didn't make a 50, and that was in 2016. And looking at, at some of his, his most prolific years for the Netherlands, eight 50s in 2013, and he made 200s and two 50s in 2014. But again, uh, it, it really hit home reading that and reading his comments and it it highlighting the the trials and tribulations of associate cricketers and, and we we talk about it a lot here but when it's brought and when it's evoked by a, a former player and and the toll that it does take it it, it certainly does bring it to another level and it, it's one of the great things about associate cricket because you know there's a lot on the line and there's a lot of pressure and that evokes you know quite a good standard of cricket quite an entertaining brand of cricket but the drawback to that is it hasn't provided a safety net for a lot of the players that do compete in it and only now are we starting to see a few of the countries in associate circles with full-time contracts which helps quite markedly and then say the advent of, of cricket world cup lead to and other competitions like that where there are consistent one-day internationals being played but yeah to, to, to look at Barese and a player who'd been so revered in, in the emerging game you know feeling feeling that way it, it, it definitely accentuates the the situation that a lot of these guys are in uh, just quickly boys we've seen some shuffling in the coaching world of associate cricket as well looking and well I suppose staying with the Dutch Ryan Campbell's extended his contract there in the uh, in the men's national team setup that will take him through 
uh, up until September 2022, which is actually the end of their Super League fixtures. To stay with the Netherlands, uh, Shane Dietz has been announced as the Dutch women's head coach. He's on his way to the Netherlands as we speak. Jeremy Bray is off to Vanuatu and Mark Coles becomes the first full-time Scottish women's head coach. Quite a lot going on there over the last uh, couple of weeks or so. Plenty of chances and opportunities for some players in those countries to impress some some new bosses. But I suppose we'll start with Cambo, Nick. And you have to say he's done a really good job in that setup. He's, he's tried a lot of different players over the last two to three years just to make sure that he's got the right team set up and, and the results on the field show that, that he's got a pretty good team and a pretty good uh, a level of tactics and, and now built into that team as well. Yeah, I, I like his approach. I like the fact that he has been giving goes to a lot of different players and you know having a look at a bunch of different players and, and sort of getting them there and thereabouts and around the national team and, and a bit of a taste of it so that um, they're you know, maybe a bit more ready if you know, someone pulls out or is injured or, or, or what have you. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think the fact that they won the tournament to qualify for the next uh, T20 World Cup and, and, and that was a testament to his approach. You know, they, they pulled together a bunch of different players and, and because they'd all had enough experience at the top level, you know, they had the, the new guys... Um, and the experienced county guys, and they all just gelled. And so I, I like I like Cambo's approach. I, I think his um, you know extending his contract to the end of the Super League is a good a good move because that gives them that level of consistency throughout the the tournament. And I mean, obviously they haven't they haven't actually um, played their, their first Super League match yet. They've all been uh, you know cooling their heels, playing some some domestic stuff. Um, you know, in the Netherlands with, with the pandemic and obviously not, not being able to play much international cricket, but, um, I I think, yeah, I think it's a good move and, and looking to Dietz coming into the women's setup as well, having a couple of, um, guys with, with very good, you know, a lot of experience. You know, I was talking to Rod, uh, last week actually at the, um, at the Shield match in, in Sydney. Um, and he was saying that he thinks this is probably the best, slash most experienced uh, coaching setup that the Netherlands ever ha- has ever had, com- combining the women's and men's. So hopefully um, that shows that the Netherlands are, are taking their you know, full membership application or, or dreams seriously and, and they're going to pump up the women's game because, um, yeah, uh, that's historically been a, a point of weakness for them. Yeah, I think uh, with Dietz's background, I think we all know him as coach, high-performance manager and CEO of Vanuatu, but he coached Bangladesh mm women before he made the move to the uh, the South Pacific. So, you know, if he was good enough to coach a full member then, I think he's definitely have, have come on even further with the work that he's done. And having spoken to him, he's really keen to get back into coaching again. I think he was, well, as we saw during the, uh, the T10 blast, uh, he was... <laughs> You know, uh, wearing a number of hats, I think, from the sounds of it. I think he was doing everything except painting the lines, and maybe he was even even doing that as well. <laughs> and, you know, and Mark Coles going to Scotland as well. I think his is a, a great story, and I encourage everyone to, to look up his article on, on stuff, his interview on stuff, and then his uh, podcast with uh, Jared Kimber as well about his expedition, or his life-changing um, decision to go and coach the, the Pakistan women's side and then, well, he had to leave that unfortunately, but I think this is such a great thing for him and for Scotland and really looking looking forward to see how they go. Look, we know the talent that they've got. <laughs> we know the uh, the sisters, Bryce, and how amazing they are for as long as for as long as long Scotland can hold on to them. But uh, no, it's just uh, good news all around. But a bit of a swap really, isn't it? With uh, Dietz going to the Netherlands, Jeremy Bray, Flying east, going to Vanuatu from Denmark. So Denmark are going to be looking for a head coach now as as well for their men. So um, 
but like when something happens in the, in the insurance market, you know, you see one person move and then the, the everybody shuffles shuffles around <laughs> for you know, um, for the into the roles. So it'll be interesting to see what tack Denmark take. You know, having someone been there for so long as 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 Jeremy Bray has been, I think it was six or seven years in, in Denmark. About the, the the sort of attitude that they take and the type of the type of coach. Yeah, I know it's been tough for them. They haven't been able to play. Well, almost anything really. They they had a few sort of um, unofficial internationals against Norway last year, but other than that, it's all been domestic stuff. So, yeah, tough tough for him to really build towards much at all. Um, I I like Bray. I, I like his approach. So he's a very no nonsense sort of guy. I met him at um, in Malaysia a couple of years ago in a in a world cricket league and um, I, th- I think he'll do well in Vanuatu he'll bring a bit of um, probably uh, some some discipline to uh, a team that has perhaps struggled with that in the past as well and um, yeah I- I'm-, I'm very interested to see how it goes um, and sorry just just on Mark Cole's coaching the Scotland women um, I mentioned the Netherlands uh, full member plans Scotland obviously has has similar plans and their women's side is another you know another place where they're looking to improve as well so that's a good sign that they're they're taking on a full-time coach there it's a game of coaching musical chairs but it is an exciting time in the emerging world and we'll be keeping a keen interest on all of that some news this week to wrap up and in a boost for the game's development over 500 matches across three global events will be streamed in a deal with the ICC and IMG Qualifying matches for both the 2023 Men's and Women's Cricket World Cup and the Men's T20 World Cup will be broadcast across more than 40 events. More than 50 ICC members will grace our screens via the new deal with first-time participants at global events and the advent of streams, allowing new exposure to those in cricket's emerging outposts. Afghanistan and Zimbabwe will go head-to-head with two test matches and a three-match T20 series being played out from next week. Eight members of Afghanistan's 19-man squad are uncapped at test level. And finally, it was Dutch delight with four members of the Netherlands national team being picked up in the 100 draft. Colin Ackerman is off to the Manchester Originals. Roller Vandermeer joins the London Spirit, while Oval Invincibles and Southern Brave picked up Brandon Glover and Tim van der Hoogten, respectively. Both the men's and women's 100s will run across July and August. That's the news in the Emerging Game this week. Coming up, part two with Claire Polisak. Kyle Kutzer, I'm Cricket Scotland captain, opening batsman, I'd say I'm an all-rounder, bold, decent, medium pace, <laughs> and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. If there's anything you want to hear or learn about the Emerging Game, make sure to listen in. I think we can move to ones that are more fun now. Has she umpired Greg Matthews? That's a great question. <laughs> no, I, I, I've heard he's a lot of hassle. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, get to well I've, I've played with him. He, he called me his protege at one point, so I feel like I've seen him as a seen him from another angle. But anyway, he's a strange, strange cat. <laughs> Was that protege in uh, spin bowling or protege in uh, hassling umpires? <laughs> I'm not going to dignify that with an answer, Nicholas. Anyway, <laughs> I want to know if. If you umpire while on the couch watching on TV, I mean, thinking about when we watched The Ashes two years ago and all the tricky decisions that came up through that, are you the type of person that would sit down, watch cricket on TV and be like, oh, that's that's definitely out. How's that been missed? Oh, no, no, you can't give that. You can't give that out. I, this is not a fun answer, but I watch very little cricket on TV. Like, I just find that I couldn't, like during the Test Match series, we would have, you know, cricket all day and then we get back to the hotel and one night we on our way to a COVID test actually we walked past the Australian um, team room 
and they were all there crowded around the television watching Big Bash. We And we are not, you know, there are few nights where we watched TV and there are even fewer nights where we watched Big Bash on TV just because we're watching cricket all day. We don't want to be watching it at night time. Yeah, it's just, there's, just, there's just some cricket nuffies out there and, and we're not generally one of them. That's interesting. So it's it's more it's sort of become a, a job for you. I guess it's like the saying where you know when your hobby becomes your job, you you need a new hobby. Possibly. I mean, I, when I do go, you know, do go to cricket matches, uh, I find I'm watching the umpires more than the players. <laughs> um, sort of ruins the game of cricket, uh, you know, as a whole when when you're going to watch a game. But it's you can watch too much cricket. I think it is different though if you are watching the cricket to observe the bowlers or the batters to try and again to use that information for when you do come up and umpire them. Um, so you can get an idea of what the ball is doing with with ball tracker if they swing it a lot early on or whatever it is. So you can use that information. But as a general, sit down on the couch on an afternoon and watch cricket. I don't really tend to do that. That's actually quite relatable in in the line of work that I'm doing now. Like that state game that was on today, I could have done fifty other things today instead of that because it gets to a point where you're just exhausted and almost numb to like all of it and then going away and, and there's cricket on TV and someone asks oh like have you got anything interesting on this guy's like mate please don't <laughs> like the last thing I want to do is think let me just drink my Tui's new and sit here in peace on the beach I don't need I don't need to talk about this with you anymore like <laughs> is your name Lisa Stalaker the end the answer is no <laughs> He hasn't dropped her name this podcast. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so we've been talking a bit about your career and uh, our, our brush with the umpiring mind of Claire Polisak in Namibia. What are some of your favourite career moments, you know, looking back, best matches or, or best place to visit, um, best facilities, best food, you know, just do a top five of some of the best things that you've, you've come across uh, in your time umpiring. Yep, best uh, venue for the spectacle would be Dharamasala with the Himalayans in the background. Oh, yeah. Uh, the best one for food would have been just recently during the Test Match series, I think, because we weren't allowed out. They they fed us really well. <laughs> what, was, what was the best feed you had? Uh, there was a night and we were sitting up. We had a breakout area and we were sitting on the couches and we saw dinner was being served and saw some plates of oysters come out. I said, oh, that's okay. Two or three plates of oysters between the, the nine of us. That's, that's okay. Um, we got to the table and there was a plate of oysters for all of us. Oh. Um, and we're like, whoa, this is this is pretty nice. Um, this, we think they've got the menu mixed up because we shouldn't be getting this. <laughs> um, so that's, that's, I mean, that's recent, so that helps come into the mind there. I think that the best, uh, I don't know how many more you need from me, um, the best team in terms of spirit would definitely come down to Thailand um, because they just love the game and watching them at the end of the game thank everybody mm. um, is they just have something that the other teams could probably borrow a little bit of um, and just how much they appreciate and enjoy playing the game there um, two more um, best facility in the associate world that I've been to Samoa while the on-field facilities was not great in terms of its marquees and that sort of thing but the fact that we're in Samoa on a tropical island um, it was pretty special for our days off. That, that does help. And um, best match, 
But I, not for any particular reason. Um, but I think that the, when, when I'm thinking about the best match as such, it comes to my mind is back in 2017. It was India versus New Zealand at the Women's World Cup. And it ended up just on the way that the tournament had fell. Um, this game was like a quarterfinal. And so the winner uh, went through to the next stage. And I think just, you know, it was still a little bit inexperienced in that world, but I had a really good game and I was really pleased with, with how that game um, unfolded for me. So that's just one that pops into my head then. I think we've uh, tortured you enough on trying all those answers out. <laughs> now. What's any good Bush lawyer moments from captains on the field? What's the best, I don't know, funniest, worst argument that you've heard about disputing a decision? You know, it's Greg Matthews yelled at you or, <laughs> you know, screaming in your face. Yeah, I saw this question and I didn't I don't have an answer for you. I mean the only when you said Bush that made me think of Goulburn. Um and the only sort of story that 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 has come to my mind there was early on a I was standing at square leg and it's got nothing to do with the decision, but I was standing at square leg and a gentleman had or a player has lifted his leg and let go of this massive fart that I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. I'm only 18 at the time, biggest fart I've ever heard. And he's realised that I'm standing, you know, not far away from him and his face has just dropped. Um, so he's like, oh, my God, what have I just done? Um, so that's just what popped into my head then, but nothing to do with decisions, um, but that's just what popped in there for you. So not, not so much Bush lawyer, that was more Bush destroyer, wasn't it? So, yeah. I think so, yes. <laughs> um, uh, Nate, who's our American correspondent based in North Carolina, um, the cricket hotspot down there near Morrisville. What's to know about your experience with DRS, how much you've you've used it and having your decisions reviewed and whether you find it as an asset or if the expectation works in a negative way when it's not available? Yeah, really good question, actually. Uh, I've had limited experience with DRS, uh, but in the uh, 2018 World Cup in the West Indies and just recently in the T20 World Cup in Australia, um, all games were DRS, which is fantastic. I actually really like DRS. Because so so with with DRS it means that if you have made an error it shows that the game can just move on if the players have reviewed it. If we've made a decision and it takes the players fifteen seconds to decide whether or not to review it or not, probably not a terrible decision. Um, I had one decision in the West Indies in twenty eighteen where I actually got three noises. Huh. I got yeah I got uh, what were they I got ball on. Bats all on pad, bat on ground. And I'm like, and it was an LBW appeal. And I'm like, I, I have no idea. The, the team, they just they discussed reviewing it and they didn't review it in the end. Um, and it showed that it was pad first, but the, the umpire coach was there and he said, look, you got three noises. There's no way that you could have you could have worked out which one came first. Um, and in that game, there were a couple of other decisions also that the team, the same team probably should have reviewed. And the one of the coaches was in the lift uh, with another umpire, and the opinion wasn't that the umpires had made a mistake; it's that the um, the players hadn't reviewed the right decisions. Um, so I think it sort of takes it flips the pressure around a little bit. I, I like it because it shows you know if you if if there has been an error then and it gets rectified, then the game moves on and people don't care about it, mm. as opposed to having errors pretend. I mean, you can never say that one error ruined a match, but it, it removes away that angst about it all and i think without with it games uh without drs it can make it harder for the umpire i guess because there might not be the definitiveness of 
whether or not a decision is correct or not. So, I mean, the, the decision today with Curtis Patterson was given out caught behind. There was no stump mic, there's no bought, um, ultra edge, no um, RTS. So um, I'm pretty sure that the umpire got the decision right, but there's no conclusive evidence as such to stop that player um, from thinking about it, if, if that makes sense. So I really like the DRS. I, I, I find it's a lot more relaxing to umpire for me under the, my limited experience with DRS because if, if a mistake does happen, then there's the opportunity to rectify it. So I was just thinking about, I know this year on the Channel 7 broadcast during the test matches, they actually had Simon Taufel on to provide an umpire's perspective on a number of decisions and to clarify a number of laws, which I actually thought was a really good innovation that was brought in. But outside of that, we haven't really seen it too much where the umpires actually get a chance to explain their decision-making process. Would you prefer to have something like that? Or do you like perhaps the the anonymity perhaps of, of making those decisions, but not needing to, to explain why those decisions were made? That's a really good question. Um... Front of the class, Bez. <laughs> I'm not getting 92 in an umpire's course anytime soon, so I need to, I need to show my quality in, in other ways. I mean, I, I honestly don't know how to answer that question. Um, I mean, umpires can often be the easy target from players or commentators. So to have, you know, that advocate, I guess for another word, um, in explaining how things are happening, like what Simon was doing during the test matches, I think is really important. I had a four-day game uh, where I gave a decision not out because the bowler had run down the protected area um, and I just completely did not see it whatsoever. And what somehow, uh, I was asked why that was not out. I, I explained why. But somehow what got back to the captain was that I was worried about the front foot um, and so because I was watching that, I'd miss what was happening at the, other, at the other end, which implies that I'm not up to the speed of, of the delivery. So it was only through another advocate, again, Darren, having this conversation with the captain that explained the decision process and, and completely changed the way that the captain considered the decision, my decision at that point in time. I'm not sure if that makes, you, makes sense, but I think uh, it is important for those explanations to happen, whether or not that's the umpire um, involved in the decisions. I don't know or when it would happen during a game, but to have those conversations and those clarifications that helps everybody m- moving on. I mean, hopefully, you know, people learn from the laws of the playing conditions that the umpires are uh, making decisions based on so that next time they, they understand why a process has happened. Uh, sorry, uh, just to kind of, I've just got more ideas coming from that answer, but I suppose when laws are changed, is it tricky sometimes it, I suppose it's easy enough for you guys to, to keep up to date with those laws that have changed and you keep yourself acquainted with them. How tricky is it actually to convey that to the players who might not be as up to date with a lot of those things? Because I'm sure a lot of them are more just focused on playing and they don't know each law to the to the letter of the law. Yeah, it's so important. Before any international series, we have a, a pre-series teams meeting with the captains uh, and that one in Namibia, we actually um, was just after the uh, running out the non-striker had changed or there'd been some issues. Maybe there'd been some issues with running out the non-striker. And one of the captain that I would been allocated, he only cared about 
running out of the non-striker and how that worked because he didn't understand it because of other instances that had happened. Oh, someone's putting their hand up in the classroom. <laughs> it was it was the it was the captain of Oman, wasn't it? It was definitely the captain of Oman. It was not it was not the captain of Oman, but it related to Oman though he was worried of this captain was worried about Oman. Oh and she So it was the captain of Hong Kong then. So that's and easy, she, yeah. I, I played the <laughs> <laughs> So Mark Chapman got run out of the, at the non-strikers end against Oman. Right. Chapman CAD. So, or the Oman CAD. I know that we shouldn't be calling it that, but it just works very well in that context, so we'll run with it. But yeah, and that was when there were different playing conditions, and I don't think it should have been given out at the time, but that's not the point. And yeah, Simon Cook at the, at the time got very... I definitely took one side of the argument saying it wasn't in the spirit of the game. But, yeah, if it wasn't Oman asking about it, we knew who it was. That's So that's that's interesting. And she hasn't mentioned that. So um, I think that's something we'll have to we'll have to bring up next time we have on, him on the pod. Speaking of which, it was unfortunate not to see his name in the IPL list. He just hadn't been playing enough cricket in India to be to be admitted as a as an uncapped local but um, hopefully that's next year but um, but uh, yes that is funny isn't it <laughs> the only question they have about the entire competition that is going to determine the future of cricket in their nation <laughs> tell, us, tell us about the uh, the run out this non-strikers in law I like it yeah but I mean the the other law if I had to pick a law um, that players don't understand so this is even before we get into playing conditions but the law that players don't understand is the fact that when a striker does not offer a shot and it hits them on their body and they take off for a run, you can run them out. Players, the number of times, I'm getting a couple of blank looks, so I'm not sure if that... Um, no, I'm just like working through the situation in my head. Yeah, hang on a second. <laughs> it's only dead when the ball's like... the Well, when it comes to a final stop, yeah. Yeah, when, it, when but the ball has to be dead to be called dead. Like up until that point, you're saying, yeah, they can still be run out. Someone can pick the ball up and throw it if they're partway in the pitch. Is that what you're saying? They can still be run out if they're outside of the cruise. So, so no, sort of. So, um, <laughs> sorry, teacher. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Put your hand down. We'll go back to the yeah. back of the class, Skinner. You're go away. Uh, no, no. So, so if batter doesn't offer a shot, it hits them on their body. They take off for a run. Umpires call and signal it dead once they've completed a run or the ball reaches the boundary. So up until that point in time where they've completed a run, then the fielding team have the opportunity to run out the striker or run out the non-striker. So the number of times where um, I'm at the bowler's end and no shot offered, they've taken off for a run, I'm getting to fantastic run out positioning and the fielding team are yelling at me going, Claire, it's a dead ball, it's a dead ball. I let them finish their run and then you call and signal dead ball. So they they don't understand that. Jeez. Have you ever seen a run out in that situation though? No, because they're too busy yelling at me that it's a dead ball. <laughs> so reminiscent of the old, you know, it's gone for four and throw it in. Is that a spirit? Ooh, the spirit of the game, I think. I, I, I would like to say I knew that, but I, 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 I didn't. No, that's a good one. I, I'm just thinking about it more from the player's point of view that they're just probably begging that, that it's not another run that they have to chase. So they're just making sure that the umpire is, is well aware that no shot was offered. And- so that should be something briefed at the start of every game. You know, if this happens, the umpire let the umpire do their job, of course, because you'd never try and, you know, tell the umpire to do something. Never, Tim, never. And and, 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 just, and just whip the ball in and run them out while they're confused in the middle of the crease looking at each other thinking, oh, well, I haven't played a shot. Yeah. What's, what's the most obscure... Dismissal you've ever given? Like, have you done a timed out or a handled the ball? Neither of those. Um, handled the ball doesn't exist anymore. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's true. Yes. It's obstructing the field now, Neil Nick. You've failed. No, no 100% for you. Yeah, no, they changed it after I did my cause. Yeah. 
when it was around, when it was around, I didn't have a hand on the ball. I, I've had a hit wicket that I used as a learning tool for everybody. Um, I gave, so I so I was at Square League first season of umpiring, and the bales are on the ground, and I've I'm not watching, and I don't know how the bales got to the ground. I ended up giving it out hit wicket because the bales went backwards instead of forwards. So that was probably the most most obscure one there. It's really important to continue looking at the stumps. So that was that's probably the most obscure one. And to this day, I don't actually know if I got it right or not. Um, but live and learn, and, and try and work out what to do next time, so that you know how the bales got on the ground. <laughs> Um, you might not want to answer this, but <laughs> Nate's, uh, he sent through one at, sort of at the last minute. Um, have you ever officiated a game where you suspected match fixing? I've had instances where I've reported things to the anti-corruption, um, oh. but I wouldn't say match fixing as such. It's just you see something, you're like, oh, that's not quite how I, how the game should be played. Is there something? And then you just, all we do is we report it to the anti-corruption guys and then they do with what, what they want. So the, the incident that comes to my mind is that a, a, an opening batter in a T20 game dotted out and over. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's that's a little odd. So, I mean, you can, that that's that's probably, I've never thought a whole game has been fixed. It's just you get little little points in time where you're like, oh, that doesn't quite make sense. I remember a certain Hong Kong batsman doing that in uh, the T20 World Cup qualifier in 2015. He's now banned for life. <laughs> so I think it's fair to say that when it, when it happened, we looked at each other and was like, uh, this is... This is not right. Yeah, and then you hear that he made made sure that he was on strike, and it's like, yeah, not good. But yes, yeah, so that had that. I know you weren't there, so it's like that's. But it was eerie. As soon as you said that, I was like, it all it all came back to me, and understandably so. Well, it'd be a lot better if. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, David Ager, who's one of our contributors, ex England, now in now in the US. Let's see, all the cricketers are going there. Just really wanting to know about what barriers that you've faced or still face as a, as a female umpire and any advice for aspiring female umpires? I think you've talked about some that you've sort of helped along the pathway, but any anything there about what you've, what you've experienced? Yeah, I think initially the biggest barrier that I, I sort of came across was around because I was female, they didn't think that I could umpire. Um, or when I turned up for my second season of umpiring, an umpire was like, oh, you can't do this as long as I can. And I'm like, well, all right, let's let's see, let's see about that. Why not? <laughs> and to, to his credit, he is still umpiring, so he, he has been umpiring an awful long time. <laughs> uh, but I think the when when I was umpiring Goulburn, a friend was driving past, and she, and she stopped to watch for a little bit, and she said, "Did you realise that when they were appealing at your end, they're a lot louder than when they appeal at the other end?" And in the moment, I hadn't noticed that, um, but I, but I, but I think that's true for for any new umpires. Players will see what they can get, um, but there's you know you walk up. Sometimes I've walked off the field and I've taken you know my wide rim hat off and I like, oh we didn't realize there was a girl out there. I went oh okay or oh you did all right for a girl when they realized. I went oh okay. so there's not any of those sort of I don't know if you call them barriers or not, but just crashing misconceptions that other people have about female umpires. And, and what I said before, you know, about players don't care as long as you do your best and you're a good person, um, I think, is what comes down to it. Um, and, I mean, you've got the – there's a whole lot of stuff happening at the moment with, like, building female-friendly change rooms uh, when they build new sporting complexes. So I, I used to – when I didn't know the ground, I would turn up dressed um, so that I wouldn't have to deal with getting changed, um, you know, under a marquee, for example. Um, so – but now, you know – 
uh, first grade in Sydney, all the grounds are fantastic. And I walk up to grounds and there's, there might be like Dremoyne Oval's got two umpire change rooms. Um, and they always say when I get there, oh, you can use the other art change room if you want. I went, hey, look, thank you. But I've been sharing change rooms for, for 12 years, but it's very, it's nice that they've, that they've thought about it and they've considered it. So yeah, it's, it's slowly changing um, with, with more, as people get more exposure to, to female umpires, I think. Um, look, any advice that I've got for, for new female umpires or just new umpires in general, you know, take on as much feedback as you can, work out what works for you, trial it in a game, trial it in a net session before you, before you um, actually step onto the field of play and, and really be open to feedback and, and looking after and looking to the uh, more senior members of your umpires association. Uh, something that New South Wales umpires do, do really well is, is looking after each other and helping each other do better every time they step out onto the field. Now, Claire, we gave you a warning and, and you're sitting there. It looks like you're racking your brain here trying to come up with something. And it has been difficult for a number of our guests. I should make that abundantly clear. Especially for an umpire here, I'm sure, thinking about the laws of the game. But if there was a law of the game you wanted to be changed, what would it be and why? I mean, it's a hard one because cricket is so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, one that comes to my mind. You're not getting away with that. I want to cough out. <laughs> um, my husband used to play last man stands, which I don't call real cricket, to be honest. Um, I think it's very good for, for social time um, and I guess it uses a bat and a ball and it's fantastic to get people involved in the sport. But what I do like about it is is the double play law or double play playing conditions. Ah. So where you can be caught and run out. Another fan of the double plays. That's It's been a popular one, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that adds another element to it. If you can get two batters out on one delivery, that might change a lot of games. Makes a lot of sense. See people get dropped and then get run out just because they're both hanging in the middle of the of the pitch that that's a hilarious dismissal but well you're, you're dropped and then two run outs at either end yeah that'd be oh, fun sorry then they run out at either end yeah yeah one of the like with those really bad mix-ups were in the middle and it's like yeah well it, were they both all running to one end to start with and then they go oh, yeah, and then they both go to the other one <laughs> yeah. yeah actually i i don't know if we've discussed it yet but how hilarious would it be the fielding team just in the middle sort of together after celebrating a double wicket and then a new basically a new pair walking out like it was the start of the innings and they're basically just just watching these two guys walk out both about to be thrown into a baptism of fire i reckon that would be hilarious <laughs> yeah, i guess you couldn't sledge them about running their partner out though could you because they're both they're both newbies but oh two new guys at the crease <laughs> two brings three <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two brings four. Yeah, see, Claire, <laughs> yeah. Claire, Claire did that for for those watching on video for our video pod. But um, isn't it funny though with the uh, with no crowd and the stump mics up? How you hear how how bad some of the sledges are from the like, <laughs> from the national. It's like it, it could be down the park on a Saturday afternoon, and some of it. Apart from it, it's all scripted. It's like, oh, I'm going to say this because it'll be funny. But it's like some of the oh, come on, two two rings straight. Like, no, no, that's. <laughs> Do you do you have to cover up a laugh sometimes, Claire, when you just hear one and you just think that's brilliant, but I can't show any reaction to that? Yeah, what's the best sledge you've heard? I have in the past, and I was I was like I was I was just thinking, don't ask me, don't ask me, don't ask me, because I can't <laughs> think of one that stands out. But I do remember trying not to laugh um, and going, oh, this isn't this isn't a good look if the umpire, you know. Um, <laughs> 
So it's, yeah, it's, it's not a good look, but it, it's, and, and that's where for me, like sledging and banter, you know, as long as it's, if it's personal, then that's completely no, no game. But if it's funny and it's intelligent banter, then I am go for it. But if it's just dribble, that's when I get annoyed. Oh, what's the smartest sledge you've heard? Oh, no, again, I, well, I've, I've thought <laughs> of one that, um, oh, that, that happened in a four-day game, and it's not the smartest one at all, um, but it, ha- it was a four-day game, and one of the batters had issues with his – I don't know what the story was, but there was something about issues with his pants and issues with, you know, having accidents in his pants or something. I don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what it was, what the backstory was, but one of the players just kept going on and on about, um, you know, kept talking about shit in the pants and what's this and what's that. And it, we, I let it go for about 40 minutes or so. And that's when I got the shit with it. And I just turned, turned to the player and I went, um, I'm tired of this shit. Can we find something else? And he got a laugh and, and then he found something else. So, but that, you know, I had a relationship with that player that I felt that I could do that with him. Yeah. So that's probably, you know, you, you don't really want to be the umpire sledging the players or saying something back to them. Um, that's just one that comes to my mind there. Well, that's that's game management, though, yeah. Yeah. Such incredible insight into the world of cricket through the lens of an umpire, uh, our first proper match official on the Emerging Cricket Podcast, and so glad to have you on. Claire Palasak, thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for being interested. It's uh, been fun chatting to you guys. A huge thank you again to Claire Polosak for joining us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. That's everything in the Emerging Game this week. Make sure to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Pod if you haven't done so already so you can tune in as soon as it drops every week, pass the pod around, and make sure to give us a five-star review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Emerging Cricket where you can support us from as little as $2 a month. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Cutler, and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.